Hi everyone, this is John and TJ. Welcome to our ninth ALN Math Talk for Season 2. Math Talk is where we answer your questions about online lessons, math learning, and the meaning of mathematics. So I'm going to sound like a broken record, but as always, I'm going to encourage our vast listening audience to <laughs> check out our website, alllearnersnetwork.com. There are free resources there, like our high leverage concepts, or affectionately known as the HLCs. And also under our events tab, there are lots of uh, opportunities. Uh, some of them, many of them are free for participants, uh, thanks to the Vermont Agency of Education. But we have lots of uh, other workshops there as well, both synchronous and asynchronous for learning opportunities. So check us out. All right, well today we're gonna focus on what we're thankful for in this last year, and we're gonna reflect back on what we've learned and we're also going to have a little conversation about number lines, number paths, right? Yeah, so we'll, we'll bring in a little content there as well. Always have to have the content. Don't want to be an empty vessel. Hard not to focus on the amazing ride we've had at ALN over the last year. A year ago, we had decided that we'd be giving workshops, but we weren't really invested in the idea that we were going to have a place to live. And now... We have the beautiful learning center at the Chase Mill, and we have all kinds of social media happening, and we have an online presence, and it's growing and growing. And I, I am just thrilled about all the opportunities that this is offering to teachers and to students in Vermont, and, and in many cases beyond. I'm really thankful for all the people in my life, both personally and professionally. Uh, there are some actually some scary moments for me health-wise this year, and I'm doing much better now, but uh, it's really those relationships that, that kept me going, supported me. Uh, and professionally, I'm so thankful for all the partnerships with math coordinators, math coaches, um, and teachers uh, in order to help provide quality professional development and learning opportunities for teachers across Vermont and actually the whole Northeast. Although I'd really love some collaboration in warmer places, warmer, sunnier. So if you're yes. out there, I've heard that somebody <laughs> in LA is us. going to Italy this January yes. to do some work. So you know, maybe they can send postcards. We we yes. also we also want to acknowledge that if you're listening to this, if you're one of the thousands and thousands of people who are listening to this, um, we feel you. It's been a really hard year. We spend a lot of time in the schools with teachers and. There has seldom been a time in my memory, which is considerable since I'm old, uh, when teachers have faced the kinds of challenges they face this year. And it's inspiring to see how they keep moving forward, how they keep learning and keep creating great opportunities for their students. Yeah, I can't, I can't agree with you more, John. Just uh, the amazing... Uh, efforts by teachers this year I think needs to be sung from the mountaintops for sure yeah I hope I hope I think mostly parents and school boards and principals appreciate all the time and effort that's gone in I hope teachers are feeling that love because boy it's been a tough year yeah and we're recording this mid-December so we we hope everyone gets a really restful break and recharge re-energize stay safe so stay healthy and we will be back uh, with other podcasts in the new year, but we are going to talk about some other stuff, right? We are indeed. So we're going to talk about number lines, and number lines is one of the most robust models. It's a representational model for those of you that are keeping score at home. 
Uh, it's a representational model that can be used all the way from kindergarten through high school, actually even into college. Um, so I want to start with a question that I get a lot um, when this comes up. Um, Sandy, Miss Early Elementary Mathematics, our Chief of Operations here at ALN, is always talking about number paths. And so people frequently ask me, what's the difference between a number line and a number path? And TJ, I think you take on this question a lot as well. Yeah, I do. So uh, I'll try to be brief. We'll see. Um, I, for me, it started, gosh, a good 10-ish years ago, a first grade teacher in Essex. Uh, I think you know her, John, Susan Ayers, uh, yeah. came up to me when I was working there. And she, in a nutshell, said, hey, TJ, I have this resource that says uh, number lines are not appropriate for kindergarten and first grade students. And I, like many early elementary math educators, uh, when I heard that, was a little bit in shock and a little bit in denial and, you know, immediately went to a personal place of, oh my gosh, I've done damage to kids if this is true. Uh, so I dug in and sh uh, Susan shared with me that where it comes from is the NCTM focal points. So after they published those, I think around 2001, they came out with these resources called Teaching with the Focal Points, uh, one for each grade level. And the first grade teaching through the focal points or with the focal points uh, document, uh, I think it's a little mini little book, uh, it says right in there, and, and I'm quoting, it says uh, number path uh, lines are inappropriate models and tools for uh, first and kindergarten students to use. Now you can have a really strong reaction to that. Uh, what it's not, uh, what it doesn't go on to say is a number path is appropriate and is really a type of number line. It's just an early number line. Um, and some people get very caught up on the semantics of number path, number line. Um, but the big difference and why it's important, the big difference between a number path and a number line is a number path is discrete items. So think of like Candyland, the game. There's little boxes and paths that you walk on and each one path represents one item. So um, having a tense frame is kind of like a, a number path because you can start at the top left and go one, two, three, four, five, put five dots in there and there's five actual things. So each thing you count is one thing. A number line is all about interval counting. So you're not looking at items, you're looking at the distance between, you know, from zero to one is a distance. And then one to two is the same distance and two is twice as far from zero as one is. So it's all very much a measurement model and it's much more abstract. Um, so number paths are appropriate for kindergarten, first grade, even pre-K students to be experiencing, to be using, to have their hands on. Number lines are not really appropriate. And if you connect it to standards, the, uh, the standards talk about how it's in second grade where we expect students, unless you're in Texas, I apologize for Teeks people. Um, I disagree with those, but um, a whole nother podcast. Um, 
so the in most places uh, without the exception of texas in second grade is where standard measurement comes in so by the end of second grade students are expected to understand standard measurement and that has to do with rulers and units of measure um, and so then a number line makes sense and second graders are expected to be very fluent with number lines uh, for addition subtraction open number lines but kindergarten and first grade students uh, shouldn't be not exposed to number lines but in terms of putting tools into their hands they should be a number path you know one of the differences between number paths and number lines is that number paths are a discrete domain if there's any high school people listening of course you know about graphing with discrete domains they are a discrete domain on the other hand i'm not sure that many uh, k1 students are wondering about the number of irrational numbers between you know one and two or the intention is good in the sense that we're thinking about whole numbers and certainly all of the research that's been done about game playing and its relationship to kids understanding magnitude and number order is important um, so I, I think if we can uh, the number paths is a great idea and you know if you've been putting one two three on a number line maybe we can move to number paths but I wouldn't I wouldn't lose too much sleep over it it's one of those things that grown-ups think a lot about but kids seldom do until a particular age right well but here's where the rubber meets the road john this is where it does become an issue and i've seen this many many times with the students i've worked with um, is when you have a student that is interacting with a number line and they're trying to oper operationalize uh, something on it so you might start at 10 and try to count back to figure out what's that dark line in the middle which represents five yeah. and if a student starts at one with 10 and counts backwards one two three four five they're actually going to land and say six yeah that's true so they will be one off if they have not yet understood the difference and between a discrete item and an interval so when we provide tools for kindergarten and first grade students and they're more number liney like open number lines they don't really have the concept um, yet number paths are really about sequence so it's about forward and backward sequence uh, and so putting things in sequence numerals on a card put these in sequence it doesn't matter if they're close together or if one's three inches apart and the next one is touching um, that doesn't matter because it's the sequence that we're concerned about yeah I think that's a lot more compelling actually argument because many you know the first grade teachers even second grade teachers who are listening when a kid adds five on to six it's really common for them to start counting on the six mm -hmm. and so having a discrete object to add on to the six helps avoid that and hopefully when they go to the number line they're not they're not continuing to make that mistake the other distinction that I like to make is that number paths, like a true number path, wouldn't have zero represented on it because you're talking about discrete items. You can't represent zero, um, whereas number lines usually start with zero or have a zero somewhere on them. They could. Um, and so, but you do have to think of this transition. So there's lots of these kind of like number path lines, right? And there's the, that, that kind of start combining the both. 
So beginning to think about where does zero live on a number path starting in first grade because they've got to transition to that in second grade. So we've got to help them with that. Um, and I think it's really important environmentally for young students to see number lines in their classroom. So I always say to teachers like, do not hear me saying like number lines are bad or wrong. They just, it's how you expose young students to it. So a teacher modeling on them, having uh, representations in the classroom on the wall, but in terms of putting in the hands of students, they should be look more like a number path. And a, a 10 frame, a five frame are a type of path, even hundreds grids. Hundreds grids and charts are a number path because when you think about those hundreds charts, um, one each one numeral lives in its own box. Um, and they're just kind of a stacked, they have a certain uh, organization to them. So they're just a stacked number line. You can take a hundreds chart and cut it into uh, horizontal rows and then tape it back together and you have this nice number path. Um, some people would call it a number line, um, but understanding that it's actually a path is really important. Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of, there's been some discussion about why number lines are such a, an important model for kids. Um, the, the leading theory at the moment is that it has to do with their, uh, their physical memory of moving through space. So they have an idea of moving forward, they have an idea of moving backwards, and so the connections that we can make to that using a number line is helpful because they already have a kind of internal model for how that works. And I'm really happy you said that because if you read the book, How the Brain Learns Mathematics by David Sousa, he talks about how we have this internal number line. And there's actually a lot of, um, of lang imprecise language used. When you just said the statement you said, you talked about counting forward and backward. And I always encourage teachers of young children to focus on those terms. I can count forward and backward. And I can do that whether I'm going up on a thermometer or down or left to right. Right, We have these conventions in counting where we, we conventionally we count from uh, from left to right, um, kind of like our reading. But there's nothing wrong about counting from right to left um, and going forward. Uh, so there's even uh, Graham Fletcher and Jennifer Bay Williams, I think with great intention, put out the like upside down hundreds chart. And I just think that's a lot of extra stuff to think about when if we just focused on the precision of our language and really tried to extract the term up from uh, when we count. We don't count up. I mean, sometimes we do, um, but more often we count out. And David Susan, this book, talks about this innate number line that we have within us. And it's one of the reasons that really young children will think that the distance between something like zero and one is actually greater than the distance between 19 and 20. Because if they're kind of zero of the number line and they're counting forward away from them, well, 19 and 20 starts really stacking up and getting close together. But zero to one is a pretty big jump. So lots of interesting stuff there to think about. Yeah, so a lot of times teachers in second grade, we, we hope actually, will use number lines as a model for children to get a handle on adding and subtracting within a thousand. And for a long time, the suggestion was that uh, we use an open number line. So if I'm, if I'm doing an equation like 300 minus 185, that I put 185 at one end of the number line and 300 at the other end of the number line, 
and that I add up, add on to 185 um, until I get to 300. And this works fine mathematically, and it was something that a lot of us used for quite a long time. The problem with that particular use of the number line is like a lot of stuff where we use models, it becomes proceduralized really quickly and kids lose track of where the 185 is. And the single most important concept in additive reasoning is the part-part-whole relationship. So when you put 185 at one side of the number line and count on to get to 300, you lose the other part where the 185 comes from. So there's a really simple uh, piece to this. We start the number line at zero, and then we place 185 on the number line, and then we do exactly the same thing. We, add, we count on or add on to uh, 185 to get to 300. And what that shows you as you look at it is it shows you the parts. It shows you the zero to 185 part, mm. and it also shows you the 115 part. Am I getting that right? I'm doing it in my head here. Yeah. Um, so you get to see the part, part, whole, and you get to use the same addition to solve subtraction. So the number line can be very handy in this case, both as a tool for uh, solving a subtraction equation or simplifying a subtraction equation, but also to reinforce the idea of part, part, whole. Because once a student has solved uh, 300 minus 185 and gotten the answer of 115, the very next thing I will ask him or her is, um, what's, a, what's 300 minus 115? To see if oh. they've internalized this part, part, whole piece. Or what's 115 plus 185? So the number line serves as a, as a model for subtraction, but it also serves to reinforce that idea of part, part, whole relationships. Yeah, it, as you were talking, I was also thinking about this, and this is a very, very minute point, but um, in math recovery, uh, which I was trained in years ago, we ha they, they have the stages of development of students, and st their stage three is students can count on. That's what we expect or hope uh, all first graders are, are strong uh, counter honors. And stage four in math recovery is a very, very small slice where it's, and sometimes you can't even observe it with students, but it's the ability for a student to choose between count back from or count back to. So depending on the numbers in the equation, right, in this one, to count back to 185 is more efficient than counting back from 300, the 185, right, down to the 115. So it's, it's this teeny little stage of students being able to make that determination. And then stage five, of course, is just non-counting non, uh, strategies, so all the different flexible strategies we have. Uh, but it is an interesting little thing that students uh, have to develop, and, and, and I think you already said it, um, but we can't proceduralize the number line. We can't teach students or sh tell them how to do it. We have to use it as a tool and let them experiment with it and let them sometimes use it inappropriately or use it inefficiently, but then have conversations about that and help them to, uh, to get to a place where they're being strategic with their use of the number line. Have to make meaning that, I mean, regardless of any of the specific techniques 
we're discussing or we discuss with guests on the show, it's always about students making individual meaning and understanding in order to come to a more, a broader understanding that where they can talk to others and use efficient strategies. It has to start with them having meaning. I want to give a shout out to um, one of our guests from last week, Lily DePino, who did a workshop, geez, a couple of years ago at our one of our fall conferences where she uh, showed a bunch of different ways to count on. And um, I've, I've used counting by tens, her model for counting by tens, it's fairly common, um, many, many times. And if you teach first grade, well, even if you teach kindergarten, maybe, but if you, certainly if you teach first grade, um, counting by tens starting on any number is so important. So, you know, I'll say, well, let's, let's start on seven. What's 10 more? What's 10 more? What's 10 more? And so we work our way, you know, all the way up crossing the century. It's interesting to me that kids can go from 97 to 107 pretty easily, but they often have trouble going from 107 mm. to 117. What comes after 110 is a mystery to lots of kids. It's a thousand. It, it, well, I get a very thousand. often I get it's a thousand. Sometimes I get uh -huh. hundred and eleven, which I find very interesting. Um, anyway, so counting by tens is really helpful, and it, it becomes especially apparent where it's helpful when they get to second grade and they're counting on a number line to try to solve an addition or subtraction problem because they have that tool of knowing what ten more or ten less will be starting on any given number. So I feel like we've we've hung in this kind of pre-K to second, maybe a little bit into third grade area. And I want to just mention uh, the different types of hundred charts because often I don't think people connect hundred charts being a type of number path. It's really an early number line. They're just organized and stacked in a certain way. So one thing I always say is I think pre-K, kindergarten, even first grade students should have lots of experience with hundred grids putting little animals, little shells, buttons, whatever on them, counting. Um, but just 100 grid, no numbers, just the grid at 10 by 10. Um, and then they should have experiences with hundreds charts. Um, and whether you cut them apart and make it a puzzle or whether you have it in the, in the chart, many teachers aren't aware of or don't use 0 to 99 charts. And those can be really helpful with students who kind of need help with their family numbers and crossing the decade because it keeps, you know, like the... the, um, the All the teens start with 10, Exactly. Right? So, you, so you have yeah, 10 I, through I 19. I like the 0 to 99 chart. Nobody makes the... Or I haven't found many good commercial versions of it, but... I like it better than the 1 to 100, but they're both useful. Absolutely. And in order for students to be able to do all the stuff we were talking about when you were talking about 300 minus 185 and all the, the that goes into that, in order for them to be really strong with that, they have to have a strong foundation in number paths, early number lines, um, and and lots of experiences. So then what's kind of next? Where, where does the number line go, you know, third grade and beyond? Because you talked about it being used up into college even. So in third and fourth grade, um, the number line can be used for jumps. So if I'm if I'm looking at a six times table, I can use the number line to make my jumps and find out where all those multiples of six um, are coming. Um, 
In fifth grade, it becomes really useful because now we're focusing on rational numbers. And some of this, of course, comes up when we're dealing with unit fractions in third grade and some of the uh, early fraction concepts in fourth grade. But in fifth grade, one of the most valuable things teachers can do is to do a zero to one number line with students. Um, we start by putting a half in, um, and then we, add, we break the half in half and ask what number comes in there. Um, I'll, I'll do a video, a YouTube video about this because it's interesting. Um, I often do it with a whole class, and I'm the person who makes all the misconceptions, and I let the kids correct me. Um, but essentially, we put in, through a process, we put in all the fractions down to eighths, in some cases even sixteenths. And so the, the students look for why there are, why for example three eighths comes between a fourth and a half. And the notion here is to get the same sense of magnitude about fractions that happen with kids about whole numbers when they're younger. Um, if what, what you'll notice in the world at large is if you deal with someone who deals with fractions regularly, a carpenter, for example, she doesn't have to do much computation on paper and pencil because you know she knows that a half of three quarters is three eighths. She's going to half a three quarter inch board, it's going to be three eighths thick. Um, those kinds of calculations come really quickly and it just has to do with familiarity. So once we've developed the zero to one number line as a group, then that becomes uh, an activity during Math Menu for weeks. Uh, the kids actually don't mind doing it and it's really useful for them to do it. And then over time we switch up the number line. So instead of being a zero to one number line, we have them fill in down to eighths from uh, a half to one and a half, or from two and a quarter to three and three quarters. And so they just get a sense of sort of counting by fractions, an eighth, a quarter, three eighths, a half, five eighths, three quarters. It becomes second nature to them. So the number line is incredibly helpful in getting a sense of fractions as numbers. Fractions play, you know, they're their proportions in a certain sense, their ratios, their um, their pieces, parts and pieces, and they're also numbers on the number line. And so the number line helps us focus on this quality of fractions as number. Makes me think of uh, all the OGAP training, the ongoing assessment project. So shout out to them. We had Beth Holbert on for our, I think our episode five. Uh, if you want to learn more about OGAP. But um, when I took that training, one of the most shocking things I learned is through their research, they found that most programs, most materials only provided number lines when dealing with fractions uh, on a number line from zero to one. And so students kind of, you know, appeared like they understood, but um, through their research, when they 
gave, provided number lines that went from maybe negative one to one or from zero to two, that all of a sudden students like understand, or like really they didn't have understanding. Lots of students would actually put fractions less than zero. So having this, this kind of understanding of the magnitude of numbers and where those numbers actually live on a number line. Um, so it's really important, the things I hear you saying, like just all the experiences for students during menu, different types of number lines, starting at a half, going to one and a half. Um, I think those are really important opportunities for student learning. Yeah, you could do the same thing with with fraction. With sorry, with decimals. Um, so, for example, we do the uh, zero to one by tenths number line, and so we divide it up into tenths, and uh, then we take a little piece of that and do the zero to point one number line so that you do 0 0.01, 0 0.02. Mm -hmm. So you can start to build the sense of how within the zero to one number line where, um, where students are going by tenths, inside the tenths there are ten hundredths, and inside each hundred is ten thousandths. It begins to build that, and the number line is by far the best model you can use to give kids a sense of that. And then when they approach operations with decimals they're less likely to do the old counting decimal places yeah, and yeah. they're going to be thinking about what what these um, equations actually mean in terms of place value so what about double number lines John and like how are number lines used at middle school and beyond right so double number lines I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about them but you know the person the people to really here, if you get a chance about this, are Fran and Bob, who do a lot of work with these models. Um, Bob Laird, Fran Huntoon for our listening audience. Yeah, uh, right. Some of you who are you know, in foreign countries might not know about them yet. Although, actually, Bob has been in a lot of foreign countries. Um, so, uh, so double number lines are um, the idea of creating a model of covariation. The big idea is covariation. So covariation is a fancy word that just means to watch how two things change at the same time. So if you can imagine, for example, uh, the simplest version I can think of is if I had a number line where I marked off feet, right? One, two, three, four, five feet. And below it, I had a number line where I marked off yards, Every time I hit three feet or six feet or nine feet on the feet number line, I'd have a one or a two or a three on the yard number line. So by looking at these number lines, you would have a sense that the number of feet is increasing three times mm. faster than the number of yards. So it really gets at the rate and ratio, doesn't it? It's, it's a, all about the rate and yeah. ratio. Um, Proportions can be written in terms of, well, the mathematical formula is y equals kx, and k is a scaling factor, right? So in this case, if we wanted to know how many feet, we'd have to take the number of yards and multiply it by three, because feet go up three times faster than yards do. And so putting a variety of proportions onto number lines is really helpful because the difference between a proportion, y equals kx, and a linear function, y equals mx plus b, is just the plus b part. It's an intercept. 
So by focusing on covariation with the double number line, when students get into usually around eighth grade, we can take one of those, those lines from the double number line and rotate it 90 degrees, and now we have the Cartesian coordinate system, which is simply a two-dimensional version of our one-dimensional double number line. They work the same way. I was actually surprised. I've been doing some work with middle school teachers all over the place this year, and I was a little surprised with how few of them had any experience with double number lines. But as a model for proportional thinking, they are very, very powerful. And like other things we do at the elementary level, if the middle and high school teachers are aware that kids have this understanding, it can make the material that high school teachers are teaching much easier to teach. Yeah. So everyone has to have this strong understanding, even if you're not teaching uh you know, proportions in middle school, you, you might be an early elementary teacher, you still need to have some sense of where is all this stuff that I'm setting the foundation for, where is it going to, right? Because if I don't provide the appropriate opportunities for students, then they're going to be weaker there. And I, I think we've said many times, right, math is, is often the, the indicator of whether or not you're successful. Uh, and if we provide a, a appropriate path for students to be able to be successful at math at the higher levels in education, then we're setting them up for the best success. So number lines, people, number paths, <laughs> they're an important model. And they're I would say they're part of just about every workshop we do in one sense say or another so. because they are such a powerful model. So I hope that you out there found some of this useful or will find some of this useful. Um, and thanks again for being our partners on this journey over the last year. We hope we have lots and lots of years to be talking math with all of you. Remember, you can find a recording of today's podcast at alllearnersnetwork.com or on Spotify or on Anchor, search ALN Math Talk. Along with free weekly online lessons, high leverage concepts, high leverage assessments, high leverage t-shirts, belt buckles, and coffee mugs. ALN Math Talk is produced by the All Learners Network, all rights reserved. Executive producers Sandy, Miss Elementary Math, Stanhope, and John, I was just thinking Tapper. TJ, the designer, Jemison, is the co-host. Spiritual and mathematical guidance has been provided by our own Robert Fly in the Water microbrew stats-loving Laird, who reminds us that we'd probably be more successful if we just drew a freaking picture. Our theme music was written and performed by Sarah Blair. Join us next time for another Math Talk. Stay safe and healthy out there, everyone. <laughs>